Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. 100% you have to be focused on the process of getting there. You can't be thinking about just the end result and how far away from your end result. And this is where the real power of tracking your progress comes into play. Into play. Because then you can see, okay, well, I've had, you know, let's take... Uh, you know, lifting weights, for example, like if, uh, you know, my goal is to bench 300 pounds and I'm only benching 250 pounds, I might be really bummed out and sad that I'm not hitting it. But if I look back on my workouts and I've seen, okay, you know, I've improved this week, I improved that week, got a little bit better this week, you could, you start to see where the progress is happening. And it, that's why I think it's almost fundamental that you have some sort of system in your life for tracking your personal development progress. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Ben, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Sereni, thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, it is really, really cool to have you here. You know, I came across your story by way of our mutual friend, Matt Monroe, who mentioned you to me. And he said, you know, you really should talk to Ben. He's like an up and coming Tim Ferriss. You know, every now and then I'll reach out to our listeners for guest recommendations and your name rose to the top of the list. So uh, it is really, really cool to have you here. And on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your story, uh, your journey, your background and how that has led you to all the work that you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say my story and how I ended up creating Stop Search You actually goes back about seven years or so. So this is the time, uh, 2008, 2009, uh, housing market has crashed, uh, you know, the world's economy is in the tank. I am a recent college graduate and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what direction I want to take my life, what things I want to do. And uh, I'm trying to start my career. So I have a physics undergraduate degree I'm trying to begin a career as an engineer. So I've applied at well over 150 different positions, and I've been rejected by every single one of them. And I'm just facing rejection. Every single day I'm sitting down and writing cover letters and resumes and applying for jobs. I'm getting rejected by everyone just because there's literally no job for me to get at that point in time. And simultaneously, while this is going on, my girlfriend, Michelle, is really struggling with her health. Uh, she has a very rare autonomic nervous system disorder called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And uh, what this means is that her parasympathetic nervous system, uh, so all of her body's uh, autonomic or excuse me, automatic processes don't really work really well. So uh, blood pressure, blood pressure regulation, 
pain management, uh, energy, things like that, her, her body just doesn't do it very well. And because her condition is so rare, no doctor can really figure out how to help her. So she's struggling and we keep going to all these different doctor's visits and they just keep prescribing more medication, more pills, more pills. And it's like every person we talk to, they're just trying to push their latest drug on us. And uh, things get bad, and I get extremely frustrated with the way things work. Uh, I'm upset that the doctors haven't figured out her condition. I'm mad at my professors for not preparing me for this new world that I'm in. Uh, I'm mad at the government for not fixing the economy. And I'm blaming everyone uh, and really not taking any responsibility for what I was doing. So I got really upset and frustrated and ended up taking a really crappy job that I hated, and then I ended up going back to graduate school. And I remember the moment that I started to take responsibility for my life extremely clearly. So I'd gone back to graduate school, and I'm sitting in one of my classes, and it's a research class. So I realized very quickly that I have access to the same information that all of these doctors do who are trying to help Michelle. It's just they haven't read the research papers. They haven't done the work to figure out how to help her. So I start there. I uh, dive into the research. I start putting the keywords for her condition. And I have no idea what any of these research papers say. Like, I, I can't even read them. So I just have to start there. And I'm going through these papers. I'm highlighting notes. I'm trying to figure it out. And that, that moment, I realized, like, I could figure this out. I didn't have to wait for the doctors to figure things out for her. And because I started taking responsibility for what was happening in our lives and specifically with her health, I realized that I could take the same approach and start applying it to everything else in my life. So now fast forward a few years, I've, I've been working on myself. I got the job figured out. I've got things going on, but I realized that there's something really missing from my life. Um, so I had gotten the job. I had uh, the apartment. I had all the things that I really thought were going to make me happy. You know, the, the granite countertops, the big screen TV, the big couch, and I'm sitting in my apartment looking at all my stuff. And I made this, this realization that none of these things that I thought were going to make me happy made me happy. And I realized that I needed to start making some changes right then and there. So shortly after that, I launched my first blog, which was primarily a health and fitness blog. Uh, so I was talking about uh, fat loss, uh, muscle gain, uh, you know, how we can improve our lives by you know, improving our health. And I was making these diet and fitness plans for people. Um, now, this time in my life, I was really into the whole health and fitness scene. I was listening to you know, several hours of podcasts each day. I was doing a ton of research, and I was literally writing the best programming and training and uh, workout routines for people. And I kept writing these routines for people, and I realized after a time that they were failing. Like, so they would make progress for a little bit, and then they would fail. And make progress for a little bit, and then they would fail. They'd make progress for a little bit, and then they would fail. And this kept happening over and over and over again. And I realized that it wasn't the information that people were struggling with. It was the formation of the habits that allowed them to achieve the results that they wanted. So that really made me like double back and say, okay, you know, I need to shift focus here. You know, it's not health and fitness and the how-to that's the problem. It's people taking the application of this information than actually doing it. Because Knowing what to do is not a hard thing, but actually doing it, that's the hard part. So that's when I started really diving into the research of how we form habits and how we can implement them in our lives and how we can ultimately create change 
uh, you know, understanding how habits are made. Uh, so when you look at stop, start, do, it's really a tool for people who don't want to rely on willpower in order to get something done. But if they learn the basic frameworks for how to change their habits, that's the greatest way to create change for them. Awesome. All right. So that raises tons of questions, as you might imagine. Um, so I want to talk briefly about uh, the journey before the journey, you know, childhood, parents, mentors, influences. I mean, when you look back at your life, uh, are there significant moments or inflection points that you think ultimately led you down uh, this path of uh, helping people to change their habits and using that to change their lives? Yeah, definitely. So I look back at like my first goals as a kid. So let me take you back to Ben Austin in preschool. I'm five years old, and my life goals for that time are, number one, uh, no unhappy people in the world. I want to make everybody happy. Uh, number two, I want to cure cancer. And then uh, number three, uh, I forgot what number three was, but it, you get the point. I yeah. had these very big goals where I wanted to change the world. I wanted to have an impact. And it's strange for me looking back at those goals when I was younger because I realized very quickly that the work I'm doing is – influenced by those same feelings that I had when I was younger. So I look at the reasons why I created Stop, Start, Do, the reasons why I continue to work on it. And it's really my desire to have an impact and create change on a mass scale. Uh, and I see, I don't know, it, it's really weird when you look back on your life and you start to see these decisions that you've made and you see how they've aligned with you know, what you would consider to be your purpose or your mission in life. And it's really interesting for me to see how when I was young, I had a very clear idea about what I wanted to do with my life. And then as I got older, I fell off the path. Like I, I uh, you know, went down this career path that maybe wasn't the right fit for me for the wrong reasons. You know, it was societal pressures. I did it because I thought I would make more money. It, it was all these things. And the work that I'm doing right now is very much a transition from me getting back on that, that initial journey that I started when I was little. Why do you think people uh, lose that clarity and fall off the path themselves? And how do they get back? Especially if they're like way later in life than you are. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's very natural for us to fall off the path. Uh, it, it happens to, I think, most people at least one time or another. Um, and that's because society is always pulling you towards back to the norm, Right. And the norm is to get the nine-to-five job and get married and buy a house and do that. And it's really hard, especially when you're starting out, to do something that's different than your friends and your peers. Because this is something I've experienced uh, in the past couple of years, me doing something different. Uh, it's not that people don't, not they don't like what you're doing, but it almost shows them what they could be doing if they decided to live different. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they, you're almost a reflection of all the things that they could have done. And actually one of my buddies recently drunkenly admitted to me that my recent su success is, uh, it's hard for him because it shows him everything that he could be doing. And it, it's hard to hear that, right? Because, yeah, I guess I don't know where to take that one. I do. How do you maintain relationships with people in your life at the same time while pursuing what matters to you? 
That's, a, that's actually a pretty good question. I was talking to one of my buddies about that uh, recently, Michael Roderick of uh, Small yeah. Pond Enterprises. And uh, essentially what he was saying is like when you're starting out as an entrepreneur, you're starting out your own business, you're doing things differently. If you go back into those groups uh, where the social pressure is such that, you know, they're all going to gang up on you. So like if I go back into my group of buddies that's, you know, I've known since forever, they're almost going to kind of all gang up on me because that's sort of like what the norm is in the group. But if I have conversations with them one on one, those dynamics don't really happen within the conversation. Uh, so it's like you, you just need to isolate them one on one and then also bring them into your world. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got different people. I, I've got lots of friends now that are entrepreneurs. And like if I invite them all to hang out, my friend who may have been you know, not so happy with me you know, previously in the big group setting, I bring him back you know, in this new setting with the entrepreneurs, he's not going to have that same, uh, same behavior against me, I guess is the best way I could put it. Mm. You know, one of the things that's really interesting is you mentioned getting rejected from 150 jobs out of college. I mean, I, I graduated business school right around the same time that you finished undergrad. I don't know if I applied to 150 jobs. I might've given up before 150. <laughs> uh, but the question that raises for me is how you maintain morale when you're going through something very difficult in your life. Because I mean, you know, when you get out of college, not being able to find a job feels like the worst thing in the world. When you get a it bit does. older, you know, somebody dies and you're like, oh shit, getting a, not getting a job out of college was, you know, pales in comparison. Right. Exactly. Um, so, but you know, I think the same sort of, you know, way of dealing with it applies here because what you're talking about is dealing with what seems to be an incredibly difficult period of your life. And so I'm curious, you know, how you maintain morale through something like that. Yeah. I mean, 100% you have to be focused on the process of getting there. You can't be thinking about just the end result and how far away from your end result. And this is where the real power of tracking your progress comes into play, into play. because then you can see, okay, well, I've had, you know, let's take, uh, you know, lifting weights, for example. Like if, uh, you know, my goal is to bench 300 pounds and I'm only benching 250 pounds, I might be really bummed out and sad that I'm not hitting it. But if I look back on my workouts and I've seen, okay, you know, I've improved this week, I improved that week, got a little bit better this week, you, could, you start to see where the progress is happening. And it, that's why I think it's almost fundamental that you have some sort of system in your life for tracking your personal development progress. Now, you can take a number of different ways of doing this. You can journal, which I think is a fantastic way of tracking your progress. You can look back at your thoughts and see what you were thinking you know, back when. You could do a video blog of yourself and you use that. Uh, me personally, I use a spreadsheet to track how I'm spending my time, how I am accomplishing all the different tasks and habits that I have to do. And then am I doing them consistently? And if not, why? So if I look back on the past week and for whatever reason I've missed or, you know, I've eaten bad food that whole week for whatever reason, you know, I want to know why. If I go back in the previous week, it's probably because I didn't sleep well that week. And I know that. So I'm like, okay, well, this week, you know, I need to uh, get better quality sleep. I need to change a couple of things. And then I'm able to make those changes. um, And that only really happens if you have the data there to support it. Uh, So, like I said, not everybody needs to do things the exact same way that I do, but, you know, you need to have some sort of system in your life where you're measuring progress. Hmm. So you think measuring progress basically takes you out of the mental funk of, you know, not real or feeling like you're not at the end result that you're seeking? Yeah, absolutely. Because you can see the progress that's happening. Like, I know you felt this in your own personal goals that you set, but like, if you look at something that you want and you don't have it, you kind of go, ah, oh, well, uh, you know, I, I'm not there yet, you know. 
And then you start to get down on yourself because you're constantly comparing what you've done versus what you don't have. And you almost build the self-image of yourself around someone who's not an achiever, someone who hasn't been able to achieve their goal that they want. But if you break it down to small steps, kind of like I do with this habit tracking spreadsheet, you know, I just see, did I do it today? Yes or no. And I see the progress that's happening towards that goal. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into the entire framework for Stop, Start, Do in a lot more depth. Uh, but I want to ask you a couple other questions. One is around this decision to shift from blame to responsibility. And mm. uh, I'm really interested in, one, why you think you were self-aware at such a young age to do that as you were. Like, what in your life enabled that? Um, and then, of course, how do other people move from a place of blame to a place of taking responsibility in their own lives? Yeah, I, for me, it was just sheer pain of the way I was living. And I was experiencing such tremendous guilt and shame and anger towards the way things were that I pretty much had no choice but to change. Like things had gotten so bad that the only real option was to change and to take responsibility because clearly blaming other people at that point in my life wasn't doing anything. It wasn't accomplishing anything. And Srini, I think the worst part about it is you feel powerless. You feel like you don't have any power to change anything. You don't, you don't feel like you can do anything. And I can't really say why I was able to do it, you know, at age 21 or 22 or whatever it was. But I just know for me, there was just so much frustration build up that I was like, you know what? Things got to change. I don't know what it is, but I just got to do things differently right now. And that was like the thing that ultimately catapulted me towards uh, change. But we don't all need to get to that breaking point where things get so bad that you have to change. Like you can actually create your own reasons for creating change in your life without having all the bad things happen to you. Like your environment doesn't need to crush you in order to change. You don't need to have a heart attack in order to change. You don't need to have a stroke before you change, right? And uh, one of the techniques that I use specifically with clients and people that I work with is called the motivational seesaw technique. Now, this technique uses uh, 10 different questions. Uh, So how it works is this. You write out whatever goal you want, and then you write down 10 different reasons why you want that goal. Like what are the immediate pleasurable things that you want to get out of achieving this goal? Next, you write down 10 negative things that are going to happen. If you fail to take action, don't do it. So now what you're doing is creating negative motivation and positive motivation, and the seesaw can tip in your favor. And I've done this with a variety of different people And what I notice is that the first time they do it, they haven't really dove in deep enough. Like they need to go a couple levels deeper. So they might send back their results to me and I say, okay, you know, we got a good start here. Let's dive deeper. What's really the reason why you want to lose 30 pounds? What's really the reason why you want to start your business? What's really the reason why you want to become a world famous writer or, you know, whatever it is for that person. And, you know, that's when that second time through is usually when the real reasons start to pop up. For whatever reason, it's not the first time, but it's the second time that people can gain enough motivation and leverage on themselves in order to change. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. What surprised you in their answers and what surprised them? I think, I hate to say this, but I think most of us are just sort of living at the surface level of thought. Uh, we're kind of in the habit of going throughout our daily routines. Nothing is really changing for us. We don't have an eye in the end result. And it's really hard to dive and start to understand what is the fundamental structures that support our beliefs, why we want to do things. Because you talk to anybody and they're like, oh, yeah, I want to lose weight. And then you ask them why. And they look like look at you like you're crazy. Right? <laughs> they're like, wait, why would you ask me that? Of course I want to lose weight. There's no reason why. And it's really hard to dive deep and figure out why people are motivated or what's their motivation for change. Mm-hmm. You, it's funny because um, I, I've looked – very recently at, at some of the things that I had set as goals. And I, and, you know, I kind of looked at them. I was like, I don't know why I want these things at certain moments. I'm like, wow, these are sort of arbitrarily set. You know, like you said, a monetary goal. And I, I thought about it. I was like, wait a minute, what are we going to actually do with that money? Maybe we should start there instead. And this is something that I did with my business partner. I said, okay, 
let's make a list of every single thing we want to do and see how much money it would cost. And I think the, the, the one, the cost was actually shockingly low to us, but mm-hmm. it was kind of surprising. We're like, wait a minute, if we're working towards this, the goal that we've set is kind of out of alignment with this. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're setting a monetary goal, but it's not in alignment with your, your daily actions and habits in order to get it. Is that well, what you're saying? No, no. I mean, it's, it's not actually aligned with what we're like, you know, the end we had in mind was not even on the table. It was like the end was just, okay, make X number of dollars. But we're like, wait a minute. We like just the sheer act of asking why and what the hell are you going to do with all that money? It really kind of opens your eyes up to a lot of different things. You're kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not as much as I thought it was going to be. Or, you know, it, it's just a very eye-opening exercise to really understand why you want something. Absolutely, yeah, because you start to really – like you'll write something down and you're like, holy shit, I didn't know that that's the reason why I want to do that. I mean uh, let me give you an example. So last year I wanted to start a habit where I was giving a, a speech to my phone every day. Like I was just riffing on a subject that I was working on, trying to talk about it, trying to improve my public speaking skills. And when I sat down to wrote down why I wanted it, I realized that, okay, I want to start doing more public speaking and I want that to be a big part of my career. And ultimately I learned that I want to start a podcast just from doing this exercise. But I didn't really know that. Like I kind of knew it, but I didn't really know it until I had gone through the process of writing these things down and figuring it out. Kind of like you guys did. So one of the questions I have for you is, uh, you know, you mentioned that the first 10 people that you had worked with actually failed with the changes that you wanted them to make. And I think the natural tendency for a lot of people in a moment like that is to say, I'm a failure because the people that I tried to work with failed. And it seems like you didn't. So I'm curious, you know, what enabled that? Yeah, no, I I think that's, you're bringing up a really good point. Uh, There's a huge difference in between I failed and I'm a failure. I think the, the real dangerous thing to start saying is I'm a failure or I can't do this or I'm not capable of doing this. But if you just say, okay, this time didn't work out what could I do differently next time in order to uh, you know, try a new approach? Um, because going back to the responsibility piece that we we're talking about earlier, I looked at their inability to make change and I said, okay, well, it didn't work out. Clearly there's something I'm doing wrong here. It's not their fault. 10 people don't fail randomly. Uh, something I'm doing is wrong. You know, what can I do differently? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that makes uh, a perfect setup to start talking specifically about the stop, start, do framework, because, you know, what's interesting to me, you know, is that we've carried people through so many different frameworks for making changes in their lives on this show. You know, I mean, we've brought in people from every perspective imaginable. And one, the changes are always different that people make uh, because we rarely provide prescriptive advice. And two, certain conversations resonate with certain people in certain ways. So I really would love to walk uh, through this entire framework of stop, start, do, and how it's used to change behavior and change habits. Absolutely. Uh, maybe we should pick a habit and then uh, work from there because it works really well for something that you want to implement in your daily routine. So uh, I'll just give you an example from my personal Perfect. history. Uh, I wanted to start a gratitude journal habit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I wanted to do. Okay, so I already mentioned earlier that I have a spreadsheet that tracks whether or not I did it. And that's a big part of it. But before we start talking about that, let's understand that there's a sort of three uh, component framework to implementing any new habit. First, you have the cue, then you have the routine, then you have the reward. So an example of this is my phone rings. That's that's the cue. Uh, The routine is I pick it up to see who texted me. And the reward is, you know, it's a friend who's saying hello or something funny to me. Like if I, 
if that cycle repeats itself enough, it becomes a habit. Okay, so let's go back to the gratitude journal example. So I want to start a gratitude journal. And I realize that there's a lot of benefit to doing so. I'm in the research. I'm like, okay, you know, there's, there's good reason here for doing this. So what I do first is I do that uh, motivational seesaw technique that we talked about earlier. So 10 reasons why I want to do it and then 10 things that are going to happen if I fail to do this. So I already have leverage and motivation for starting it out. Now I need to pick a cue and then the routine and then the reward. Okay, so the cue for me is I wake up in the morning, my alarm goes off, that's my cue. First thing I do is I grab my gratitude journal. I sit down and I do it. And my reward is I drink coffee after that. I don't allow myself to drink coffee unless I have done it. And using just that simple framework of, okay, I wake up, grab the gratitude journal, that's going to compel me to do that every single day without fail. And the coffee is awesome because I love coffee. That's a huge reward for me. And it really reinforces this pattern loop. So now I have the motivation for doing it. And then I'm also creating the habit framework structure in order to do it. And then finally, I'm checking in with myself, you know, towards the end of the day, did I actually do it? It's in my spreadsheet and I get a little checkbox there. I'm like, yes, that's another reward for doing the right thing Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So that's an example of how I've used this framework in order to create change and implement new habits and uh, routines into my life. Okay. You know, it's interesting because that sounds almost identical to my meditation habit. Uh, I brew coffee, but I meditate before I drink the coffee. And it it might be the reason why I've actually stuck with the meditation habit. (laughs) So it probably is. And there's actually a reason for that. Uh, Coffee is a huge trigger of dopamine in the brain. I mean, you just get this like simultaneous release of all these pleasure chemicals in your brain. And that's a really strong way to reward any new habit. So I've used coffee I've used vanilla extract. I've used other good smelling scents in order to create an immediate reward following a routine that I want to make. But then I've also done things like uh, using music, using a song that I like because it you know, creates a good association to this new, uh, this new habit that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But then also you can just give yourself a congratulations like, yes, I did it. I mean, sometimes that's strong enough. Uh, but really, you have to find those things that really reward and motivate you. And those will ultimately be the ones that allow you to create take this new habit that you want and make it something that sticks. So a couple of questions come from that. You know, you said there's a difference between knowing and doing something and knowing what we do about habits, because I don't think that this is the first time a lot of people are hearing a lot of this message. Why do people still have such a hard time changing habits? Like where do they go wrong with this? Honestly, I think the first thing that they do wrong is relying entirely on willpower in order to implement anything new in their life. So like, let's take the average New Year's resolutioner, for example. So this average New Year's resolutioner, they want to lose 30 pounds. They want to eat nothing but low-fat yogurt and granola, and they want to spend more time with their family. They want to work less. They want to sleep more. And they're implementing 25 new things that they want to do in their life right now. Now, all 25 of those things are simultaneously taxing their willpower. And for those of you who don't know, your willpower is a finite resource. It's sort of like your battery on your iPhone. It drains and it goes down over time. And each of these new behaviors that you're doing is not a habit then. Okay, you set the bar for success so high that you're literally going to fail at some point in time. And slowly over time, you keep doing all these things and you're draining your willpower and you're draining your willpower. This is the reason why you see people have success with a new diet and exercise program for like a week, maybe two weeks. And then they fall off. Their willpower is drained to the point where they can't keep going anymore. And you know what? These people look tired. I've seen it over and over and over again. And I'm sure you have as well. Oh, yeah. Week number two, they hit the wall and boom. And then, you know, because they've set the bar for success so high, like they, they, 
you know, they claim that they're going to work out for an hour every day that week. And then they don't do that. And they go, oh, shit, I failed. I didn't do it. Well, the rest of these things that I wanted to do, I guess I don't need to do them either. And it sort of starts this negative spiral. So I always say you have to start from the opposite perspective. You got to baby step it. You got to set the criteria for success so low that you can't fail. So if you want to start a running habit, you know, don't make your criteria for success. I'm going to run every day for an hour. Your criteria for success is I have to put on my shoes. Right. You got to make it so easy because once you get your shoes on, you get them on. You're like, okay, well, I might, as well, so bad. I might as well go out the door. And then you go out the door. and You're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm walking now. I, I, I guess I might as well go out to the end of the block and you go to the end of the block. And you're like, okay, well, that wasn't so bad either. I might as well keep going. And you build up enough momentum. But if you start that day by saying, okay, I have to exercise for an hour, you're dreading it. Right. You don't want to do it. It, it. And I, I've been doing this now for you know, six, seven years. Yeah. And every single day I have to use the same approach for myself because I get home at the end of the day and I'm exhausted, but I still committed to working out. And I'm like, you know what? I just have to put on my shoes. That's my only criteria for success. And I put them on and I'm like, okay, well, I'm here. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And the more we can sort of baby ourselves and we can lower the criteria for success so low that we can't feel, that's when the momentum will take over. But I just think we set the bar too high we try to do too much. We tax willpower to the point where it's no longer available and we can't make change. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think everybody knows I read a thousand words a day and uh, I always tell people, I'm like, probably 95% of it is crap you know, because <laughs> right. most of it is, is, you know, like the only goal I have is to hit that word count. That's it. That's how low the bar is set. Really? Okay. See, I set the bar even lower than that. I'm like, did I open up my word processor? And that's it. <laughs> well, because- I, I've got, for me, it's a habit at this point. Like I do it as, as frequently as brushing my teeth. Like I can't not do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, I'm the same way, but like I just set my criteria for success that much lower. Cause if I say a thousand words, there's going to be times where I'm tired. And I'm like, I can't do that. No, nope. yeah. I'm burned out right now. It's the end of the day. I got nothing left in the tank. You know, well, how, how could I possibly do this? And uh, part of this is probably, Trini, I have like 25 of these different things that I'm trying to do over the course of a day. Uh Some of them are very simple, like, you know, did I eat good quality food? And, uh, you know, was I nice to my wife today? You know, was I grateful? Things like that. But then some of them are a little bit more involved. You know, they take time. Mm -hmm. And the more of those things that stack up on top of each other, it starts to look like a huge chore. So I just need to cut it down to the most minuscule slice of something that I can do right now. Mm. So you've mentioned willpower multiple times. So I want to talk briefly about um, how you've eliminated uh, what is known as decision fatigue from your life, because I know decision fatigue plays a big role in willpower. Yeah, absolutely. So what mechanisms have you put in place in your life to eliminate decision fatigue and how can people do the same? Yeah, well, first of all, you want to eliminate as many minuscule decisions as possible. Um, so for me, I set my life up in such a way where like, I have a cleaning lady now. I don't, I don't want to clean anymore. That's a huge drain on willpower for myself. So I don't want to do that. I've eliminated that part of my life. Uh, simple things like going to the grocery store or going to run errands. I hate running errands. I don't like doing them. That's a huge drain on my willpower. So I just do everything on Amazon. I have all that taken care of. So that's just one example. Just I'm taking care of these small things throughout the day so that I can concentrate on bigger ones. Uh, but then on top of that, it's, it's setting up the habit in such a way that you're not thinking about it. So earlier you mentioned you've created this habit of writing a thousand words a day. And it's something that you don't even think about doing anymore. Mm-hmm. And that is ultimately the goal that you want. You don't want to be thinking about this stuff anymore. But if you set up the habit correctly, 
and you've done the work on the front end, it makes everything on the back end much easier. So I've had weeks where I literally do 100% of everything that I said I was going to do just because I set up the habit correctly. But it's always the times that I didn't do the work up front, that's when I fail. Mm-hmm. And even me, like I have to keep reminding myself to do all these little things in the front end, and that's, that's what's hard. But once you do that, you can eliminate the decision-making fatigue and uh, really not let it bog you down. Because you're right, willpower is a finite resource. And once you're zapped, like it takes a long time to come back. Uh-huh. We've all had those periods where we're, it's Friday night and we're drained and we can't even pick a movie on Netflix to watch because we're so tired. There's like no decision-making muscle left at all. You just sit there kind of in a dur state. And that's <laughs> when you know you've gone too far. Like you can't keep pushing past that point. Yeah. At that point, it's eat good food, get some rest, uh-huh. go to bed. Because one thing that people don't understand is that willpower is also related to your body's ability to regulate blood glucose. Okay. So if you've been eating crappy food throughout the day, your blood sugar is going to be going up. It's going to be going down. And your own ability to regulate that is not there. Okay. And your willpower is tied to that. So when your blood sugar drops, so does your willpower. And this is the reason why you see people reaching for snacks later on in the day. You know, 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they're reaching for the candy bowl. They got the donuts out, things like that. Your willpower is always going to be highest in the morning. So this is one of the reasons why I say, you know, do your hardest thing first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be putting off, you know, like I know for me, meditation and gratitude journal are the two hardest things that I've done or uh, that I do throughout the day. And I I honestly, I say that like those things are very hard for me to do because they do use a lot of energy and they're hard. Like (laughs) I know it sounds crazy for I've been meditating now for five, six years but it's still like the hardest thing I have to do every day. And if I don't do it in the morning, it's not going to happen later on at night. Mm-hmm. So even though I've got the habit built, you still you want to do your hardest things first thing in the morning. And then later on at night, you know, you can you can chill out. You know, I think what's really interesting to me about this is that you, with the in-depth knowledge that you have about all of this, still have the same potential tendencies to fall victim to the things that every normal human being does. Like you're not just a machine. No, there's, there is no cure. I think (laughs) it's, it's, it's funny you bring this up because people oftentimes think that if they achieve this result, their life is going to be complete. They make X amount of dollars. Everything else is going to be easier. If they learn the Holy grail of personal development, that everything in their life is going to be easier. And it's just not the case. It just doesn't work that way. Rather, you learn strategies, tactics, philosophies, personal beliefs, and you work towards it. You work towards becoming the ideal version of yourself, but you never actually achieve it. Mm. You know, yeah. It's, it, and the reason I brought that up is I remember meeting somebody thinking, you know, we're having a discussion about James Clear and like everybody's like, yeah, this guy must be just like a machine. He just goes through the motions and it's like, wait a minute, he's a human being. Like just right. because somebody writes about this stuff, it doesn't mean that's literally how they live every moment of their life. Right. I actually have the the opinion that we write about the things that we struggle with the most. (laughs) And I know that's true for me because the reason I have written about these things extensively is just because I have struggled with them, you know, pretty much my entire life. You know, I really struggled to get things done. I was one of those people that was kind of like go with the flow, chill, relax, not really a hard charging, uh, get it done achievement type person. Mm -hmm. But I had to become that type of person in order to do the things that I wanted to do. Well, um, this has been really cool. So I I have uh, one last question for you, which is how we finish all our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? (laughs) So I I knew you were going to ask this question, and I've thought about it quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) I I cheated. 
but I think about the people in my life that have been really unmistakable. And without fail, those people are the ones that are the most unapologetically themselves. Those people are the ones that they're not worried about what everybody's judging them about and thinking about. They are just who they are without fail. And those are the people that I look up to, and I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah. Well, I think that that makes a, a really sort of fitting way to wrap up our conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and, and share your story and your insights with our listeners. Thank you, Srini. It was an absolute pleasure to be on. Yeah. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. I have this this thing about wanting to conquer the world and save the world and change the world. And uh, I have to be honest, it has not gone according to plan. It Everything is a mess. <laughs> it's a big, fat mess. Every single time I try to launch something, the website crashes. Every single time I um, post a new blog post, there's a couple of typos in it. Every single time I tell myself, I'm going to write a book um, and it's going to take me three months and I have the most amazing photographer and I have the most amazing designer. Like things just don't happen according to plan. People bail on the project. Um, the project that was supposed to take three months ends up taking 17 months. And um, I basically have stopped fighting this urge to be Miss Perfect. <laughs> I love being perfect, by the way. I'm not going to say that I'm not that person. I love, I wanted to go to an Ivy League school. I'm that like Hermione Granger girl that like raises her hand and it's like, maybe I have the answers. But in, the, in practice, in the real world, I mess up a lot. So what I've done basically is make a living out of telling the messy stories in between. Panamanian artist Mai Carlos returns to the show to talk about turning life's messes into creative victories. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.